0: The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or LifeHouseChurch.org. Well, what is up LifeHouse? That's what I'm talking about. You know, normally at youth, I have uh, one student that is always up front, usually right there, and he's like, and then he dabs a little bit. And so if at any point you wanna do that, you're more than welcome. Look, before we dive in, We love to do this at youth. We love to just give away free stuff. So can we give away some free stuff? Is that okay? So what's going to happen right now across all of our campuses, some students are going to come out, and they're going to start chucking away. We've got some children's ministry Frisbees. And so let me caution you for a second. uh, Don't get hit in the face with a Frisbee, all right? Um, so students come on out, start chucking stuff. Uh, don't break anything. All right. So start throwing them out. We got some Frisbees and we got some t-shirts. And so if you want it, make some noise, make some noise. If you're, if you're on our online campus, just print out a picture of a Frisbee or something. Um, do we, do we get them all? All right. So here's the deal. All right. Listen up. If you got, if you got a Frisbee, Children's Ministry would love to see you at the end of service. (laughs) And if you got a a youth t-shirt, we'll see you Thursday night. All right. Sound good? All right. All right. We're going to dive in and and we're going to talk about the chaos effect. So we're going to throw the youth pastor up on a weekend and talk about, no, I'm just joking. All right. We're going to talk about the snowball effect, or if you want to get super spiritual about it, we're going to talk about the floodgate effect, all right? Snowball, floodgate. So it's this this idea and this concept, right? We all know it, the snowball effect. If you take a little tiny snowball and you roll it down a steep hill, it just accumulates and it accumulates until it's massive, or you've got a picture of a floodgate, right? And maybe you've got a tiny little hole and it's leaking through and then it cracks and the immense pressure eventually It's going to burst open, and this flood date's just going to pour out. And so let me ask you something today, all right? What's snowballing in your life? Think about it, all right? What's snowballing in your life? And here's the thing, whether good or bad, what's snowballing? And so let me ask you this. So what are the things in your life that you know I should probably do this? and it'll help me in the long run, right? Or what are the things you're like, I know I really should stop doing this because it's gonna hurt me really bad later on down the road. The truth is we all have these things in our life, and so here's what I wanna talk about today, and here's the purpose that we have. The snowball effect, the floodgate effect is simply this. I believe it's because of these things in our lives, mostly the bad ones, that causes us to view prayer like a slot machine. It causes us to view prayer like a lucky charm. Something that we're just like, ah, right? You, you have your, anyone have game day socks? You're like, literally, you take yourself back to the school years, all you old people out there, right? I like to think of myself as old at 30, and the students, even the students are nice to me. They're like, you're not that old, Corey. But I'm like, I feel old at 30. But you have like your game day socks, and you have your like, oh, help me Jesus prayers, right? That's what we have. And so students, let me, let me call you out for a second. If it hasn't already, school's coming. We're going to say it as much as we possibly can. School is coming, right? And so I want you to picture this. And parents, you can give your student a hard time all you want, but you've been there too. I know you have, all right? It's test day, okay? The worst day. the teacher's getting ready to pass you the test, right? Mine, it was like Scantron. Do we still have Scantrons? I don't know. But it's like your teacher's getting ready to pass you the test and literally hands it to you and you're like... Dear Jesus, please, please, if you love me, right? And we do this, too. We cover we cover our face because we're like, no one needs to see that I'm praying. And your friend Jim's like, what's up, Corey? And you're like, I just I have a migraine. And it hurts really bad. And you're like, dear Jesus, please let me pass this test. And then all of a sudden, you're taking your test, and you notice down your Scantron, it's all C, and you're like, this can't be right. And so Jesus is like, Bro, I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that prayer Uh, because if you didn't know this, you only get a certain amount of Jesus take the wheel moments in your life. And he's like, I don't know if you want this to be one of them because there might be something later on down the road where you need a better one, all right? And so he's like, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that, all right? And then we all know why we do this. This is why we do this. I believe it. We pray, Jesus, please, you're my lucky charm. Help me win. Because then, when we fail the test, because the truth is, you didn't spend an ounce of time studying, like zero. It's all on Jesus at that point. And you're like, thanks, Jesus. Right? Students, don't do that, all right? Don't do that. But here's the problem with that. So, the truth is, this is how we treat prayer. But here's the problem that when we actually need it, it lacks. All confidence like when you're in a situation and you're desperate and you actually need prayer and you need to believe in the power of prayer your prayers lack all confidence to the point where I don't even know if we actually fully believe prayer I don't know if we fully understand how prayer actually works and here's the other truth prayer can be super confusing Right? Like, try explaining to your non-Christian friend what prayer is, especially when you get a response back from God. And they're probably like, "Ah, you mean to tell me, like, there's this voice in your head, what's going on here? Because they'd probably be like, I'm not convinced that's God, man. Like, right? And so it lacks all confidence. But I don't know about you. I am thankful that God places kingdom principles in kingdom parables. And so we're going to be in the book of Luke, and we're going to be in chapter 18. If you want to get out your phone, get out your Bible, whatever you got, but let me set up a little bit what's going on here. And so Jesus, when he started preaching, when he started teaching, he started out just being, look, I'm just going to like throw truth out there, like just truth right in your face. And so what happened is the religious leaders of the time, like literally, I feel like made it their goal to just confuse people. And like, ah, no, like, that can't be what it is. And so Jesus kind of changed his tactic a little bit. And he's like, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make this meaningful for you. I'm going to tell you a story. That's what a parable is. I'm going to tell you a story that teaches you something about the kingdom of God. And so let me change my approach here so you can understand it and you can hear me. And so here we are in Luke 18. And so obviously Luke, written by Luke, most likely an apostle of, of Paul. And so Luke was a physician. He's a doctor, all right? And so no doubt Luke understands what it's like to be in desperate situations. He's seen people that are hurting and in desperate need. He's, he's experienced loss, And he's seen it unfold in people's lives. And so he knows what it looks like. And so what he actually does is he has these interviews that he has with people that have been there present with Jesus and heard his teachings, and he writes them all down in Luke here. And so here we have the parable of the persistent widow And Jesus has just finished preaching about what the world is going to be like at the end of times. This is a terrible, scary time where, where people are confused and they're even wondering, is God even out there? Is God even listening? And he tells this story that causes people to say, it's like I've never prayed before in my life. So we're gonna start out Luke 18, verse one, it says this. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Simple translation here. Look, prayer is a little act of faith that over and over and over again can have a tremendous impact generationally, right? And so the first point tonight, Already get a first point, all right? It's pretty impressive, I know. So your first point tonight is simply this. How can you pray and not give up? Write it down, right? Write it down. If you're like me, it's just, it'll disappear if you don't write it down. It's this. Pray big. That's it. Pray big. Big. Whatever that is for you. I want you to think about it again. What are those things in your life that are snowballing and how can you pray bigger? We're gonna continue the story here. Verses two through five. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, that's very important, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. All right, picture this husband's, you know what's up. All right. <laughs> we all have it. Maybe you had it today before you even came to church. That moment where you probably say out loud, if I don't do this, my wife's going to kill me. Right? You've had it. It's like if you pass this is your like dirty clothes hamper, you pass it and there's dirty clothes right here. Yeah. <laughs> <If I don't, laughs> If I don't pick this up, my wife's going to kill me. <laughs> Here, but let me, let me give you the other side, right? Here's the other side, because the truth is, that's not a hamper, all right? The truth is, that's like the clock is running down, and we're, we're like two points away from winning, and it's the game-winning three, right? That's, that's really what that is, all right? Just ladies for you to understand. And then when we miss, we miss a lot, all right? Tr- we're not that good, um, when we miss, that's like a memorial of like, look, when I see that, I'm like, keep practicing, Corey. Keep going. You can do better than that. <laughs> that's what that is. That's all it is. All right? So now you know. But guys, just throw it in the hamper. All right? It's our fault. We don't listen the first, the second, or the third time. All right, back to the story. Sorry, that's my little rant. But that, this is what it's like, right? We have this widow. We have this... Widow, unjust judge, and she's just going to the request, like, put your clothes in a hamper. (laughs) Like, this is what it is. And so we can learn a lot from this. And so just like the belief in prayer can snowball or open the floodgate of God's movement in your life, the truth is sin can snowball until it completely ruins you, right? Eventually, that snowball is gonna get so big that it's gonna crush you. So here's the thing, in the midst of struggling and in the midst of pain, the greatest destroyer of prayer is the lie that no one's listening. It will destroy your relationship with God. Because we have to ask this, what is prayer? What is prayer? At its most simplistic form, prayer is a conversation with God. How come that's the first thing to go out the window when we're hurting and we're in need? Prayer is a conversation. If the enemy wants to destroy your relationship with God, he's going to sever the landline of communication that you have between God. That's the first thing that he's going to do in your life. Think about it in in, in the context of your own relationships in your own marriage. If you want to ruin your marriage, just stop talking. I guarantee it'll happen. And this is what the enemy wants to do in our life. He wants to utterly destroy your relationship and your communication with God. And here's the truth. We get caught in this lie that somehow we can get out of sin ourselves. That somehow we can stop the floodgate of sin in our lives and our own strength. And in our desperate need, we're thinking, I'm going to wiggle my way out of sin and I'm going to get out of this hole that I've dug myself. The truth is you're not. I want you to hear me. You are no match for sin. We need to hear that more often. You are no match for sin on your own. But God, God put himself in the story. God saw our problem, that is sin, and he said, you know what? I see the enemy is trying to cut the landline, but God's like, I got more bars in all places, son, right? <laughs> the enemy's behind, all right? He does, he's, he's trying to cut your landline. We've moved on. Right, I've got more bars in all places and I've sent my son and his name is Jesus Christ and he's going to come to this earth and he's going to live a perfect life and he's going to be the example that you need but he came for a mission because he came to die on the cross and there hung on a cross he became your sin so much so that his own heavenly father had to turn his eyes away from him something he's never done to you. And there he hung, and he died with your sin, with my sin. But he didn't stay that way. He came back to life proving he is the only answer. You are no match for sin, but God within you is the only answer. And so Jesus came back, he proved his power over sin and over death. And when he went back to be with his heavenly father, he sent his Holy Spirit. He said, Look, this Holy Spirit's gonna be so much greater than I ever was because I lived with you, this person will live within you. And so God's Holy Spirit comes and meets your invisible spirit. And it's the spirit and the presence of God within you. The same power that rose Christ back from the dead utterly destroys the snowballing of sin in your life. So it is God within us. This this should change everything. This literally should radically shape and change how we view prayer. Because no longer is it like just us, like the widowed, like throwing up like prayers and pleas to an unjust judge who is far away. No, the Holy Spirit within you means that God is present with you. He's here. He's closer than he ever possibly could be, and he hears you. So Jesus is our access to God in prayer. Jesus is the answer to every single prayer you could possibly pray. Jesus is more than enough for you. Now we can pray confidently. Understanding that it's because of his spirit and his presence within us that we pray confidently knowing that God desires to respond. Here's the truth. Just like a parent desires to respond to the need of its children. right? Filtering out the selfish wants and the selfish desires and trying to teach lessons about those selfish desires along the way, he wants to respond So how can we pray confidently? Your second point today. To pray big, pray with tenacity. The widow in this story symbolizes tenacious prayers because she keeps coming back. She's persistent, and she's like, I don't care what you think, I need justice, and I'm gonna keep coming back with so much passion and so much conviction that I'm actually gonna cause the judge to kind of fear for his life, right? Picture this, you may, who has like a grandma that's like this? I like to picture like this, this old lady, this widow, who's just pushing around this like big judge. You maybe have a grandma that's like, Mom and Dad, I had to like I had to mow Grandma's grass today because I literally thought she was gonna beat me up. Uh, <laughs> that's the widow. Like that's how I love to picture this. Like she's like, no, I I need justice and I need it now. And this is Jesus's story about what prayer should look like. And so pray tenaciously. And so you have to ask yourself this: if an unjustful judge Eventually, grants this widow her request. How much more does a loving father desperately long to hear his children and respond? This is the parallel in this story that we should pray and seek justice and grace from God with the same tenacity that this widow does. But the unjust judge is not God. God is a loving heavenly father who desires to respond quickly and to hear you. So are you willing to pray through? Let me give you a little demonstration here, all right? I want all of us to put your hand out like this. So this is where you are, and this is where you want to be. So what's the easiest thing to do, right? This is what we desire to do. In our microwave kind of culture, we want, I want it now, and we wanna twist things. And we wanna twist prayer. and We wanna twist our relationship with God. But God wants to do this. God wants to say, look, I hear you, but let me teach you something. Let me, let me teach you some patience and some trust. Let me teach you what faith looks like. And so, so he's gonna walk you through a process, and you can do this with me, right? Because you're not gonna twist anything, right? Just go up, go across, go out, go up, Go across, go out. (laughs) You'll get it later, I promise. You didn't twist anything, right? Like you, God wants to walk you through this process. And I guarantee you, suddenly this is going to click. And then all of a sudden, when you get to the other side and you allowed God to work his process in your life, God, I trust you. God, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep coming to you for your request. And all of a sudden, when you're on the other side and he's brought breakthrough, when he's opened up the floodgate of blessing in your life, you're going to stand amazed saying only God could have done this only God, you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but I have my own personal journey with prayer. And three years ago, a little bit more than that now, I lost my dad. He was on a mission trip, and it was an accident and he passed away. And I can be completely honest with you and say, I was so angry at God to the point where I just, I wasn't even sure where my faith was. I was so angry that God could take something like that away from me. But for some reason, I kept going to God with my anger. And my prayers, honestly, probably sounded even worse than this widow because my prayers to God were literally, how could you do this? I thought you loved me and in my anger, I just threw it at God. But can I tell you something? God is bigger than my anger. It's just the honest truth. And without going into a ton of detail, I'm more than willing to talk to you about it later if you want to catch me. But God gave me a dream one night. I am not a dreamer. I don't remember dreams at all. But he gave me a dream one night that had to do with my dad and my son. And I woke up that morning and I have never dealt with anger towards my dad's death to this day and it's only because of God that he worked the process, and somehow, not in my wisdom, trust me, I kept going to God in my anger, crying out to him, but yet he's bigger than my anger, and he brought relief. See, God wants to honor your desperate, endless, crying out prayers, because those kind of prayers Honor God. And so in your state of brokenness, wherever you are, keep praying. Keep praying. Allow God to work his process and be amazed by where he takes you. See, our problem with prayer isn't God. Truth is, our problem with prayer is our own persistence and our own faith. The story continues, Luke 18, seven through eight. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Here's the warning. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I searched a lot for this next word and the one that I wanted to use that I felt really worked and was appropriate. And so the last point today is this, to pray big, pray with enthusiasm. Maybe, let me push a little bit. If your prayer life is boring, maybe you're not praying big. I truly believe that a life of prayer should never be boring. It should never lack faith. It should never be something that we're like, oh, I have to pray. Like, that is not, that should not and should never be prayer. Because I think when prayer becomes that, we need to check ourselves and be like, I'm not praying big enough. I don't know if I fully understand who I'm praying to. So let me let me check myself before I Let me push one more time, all right? God's not impressed by our whining. <laughs> Some of us have had those prayers. I'm, I'm included. God's not impressed when we come to him like a toddler and we just whine and complain about things. That's not impressing God. No, God wants us to pray with faith. He wants us to pray boldly with enthusiasm. I'm excited to talk to the creator of the universe. I don't don't think we fully understand that. Like when, when you get asked a question, if you could sit down and have dinner with anybody and talk to anybody, and we're thinking through this list of celebrities, and all of a sudden I thought about this, writing this message, I'm like, can I just talk to God? The creator of the entire universe has given you access through his son, Jesus Christ, to be present and close with him and to have a relationship that involves communication that is a back and forth. I don't know about you, but I forget that. God, may we never forget who we're talking to. So pray enthusiastically by praying for things bigger than yourself. That's the key. You can pray with enthusiasm and pray being excited all of a sudden when you flip the script and it's no longer about yourself. God, would your will be done. God, according to your promises and your plan God, yes, for my life, but not just my life, my home, my community, my neighbors. I'm telling you what, you want to start praying enthusiastically? Start praying for the salvation of people close to you that you know need the love of Christ in their life. I'm telling you what, pray with tenacity when it comes to the salvation of those people. Bring them before God. I mean, it's pretty obvious that we live in a world that is hurting and broken and far away from the love of God. And they desperately need people to pray. And let me explain that. Because so often we ask the question, well, Corey, is prayer enough? Is it really enough? You know, you've seen on the news and the devastation that is happening in Texas right now. I mean, it just wrecks your heart so much loss and, and so much confusion and things that are going on and, and so much of a huge process of what this is going to look like to clean up and figure out, and there's just, it's just chaos. You know, this is, this is what Reverend Franklin Graham had to say about what is going on, and they're there. He's the president of Samaritan's Purse, and he, and he said this. There is endless praise for prayers being answered here in Houston. Prayers of water lines dropping suddenly when it was just about to enter a home. Prayers of safety that have been answered for so many. And prayers of comfort and hope being given to displaced families and those in need. Keep praying. Hashtag pray for Houston. Hashtag pray for Texas. Is it enough? Can I tell you this? I'm not saying that we need to be people of no action, but prayer should always be our first response because of who we're praying to. It's as simple as that. Do we actually believe that we're praying to the God who can provide, who reigns over all, who who knows every situation, knows every problem, who knows the answer and the solution? That's who we're praying to. And so God, I'm gonna pray confidently with boldness and tenacity and with enthusiasm Pray world-changing prayers. You know, Peter and John, we find in Acts 4.31, they've just been released from prison and they get together with some of their close friends and they begin to pray. And here's what Scripture tells us in Acts 4.31. After they pray, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The place was shaken. God wants to shake your life, and here's the reason why. Because when he shakes it, everything that isn't of him falls away. God's unshakable, he cannot be moved. And he wants to shake your life in such a way that all of a sudden, all the things fall off that aren't him, and then what remains that is him, he wants to fill with his Holy Spirit and fill you and empower you through a life of prayer so you're strengthened and empowered through prayer. And so no longer do we just sit and pray and then sit. No, you pray and then you act. You pray and then you go. Can, can I ask you this? Are you struggling financially? Pray and then give back to God. Are you struggling relationally? Pray and then love like Jesus loved people. Are you struggling emotionally? Pray and then renew your mind. Are you struggling physically? Pray and then trust in his promises for your life. Prayer is not waiting for a response from God. Prayer is active and it's a way of life. So imagine for a second that we lived in a world where we believed in the power of prayer truly believed who we were communicating with. And we prayed big, tenacious, enthusiastic prayers that could change this world. So in response today, I simply want to ask you, what commitment do you need to make? What changes do you need to make in your life that that becomes the case? God, my prayer life is boring. Pray big. Man, like I find almost I'm only praying about myself. Pray for other people. Make the change that you need to make. And so, what I want us to do is, I want us to actually operate in it right now. I'm gonna ask you just take a moment, take a moment to just pray. Across this place, all of us have a conversation with God. Could we pray right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, Life change happens here, so we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.